Looking for a casual baseball podcast to listen to? Well, Baseball with the Bard, presented by Clovercrest Media, has just what you're looking for. Tyler Bard and Noah Cross cover a wide range of happenings in the MLB and then dive into a deep focus on the Red Sox and Yankees. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for your weekly dose of Baseball with the Bard. Thank you, Tyler and Noah. That's baseball with the Bard every Sunday at 11. And they obviously there was a big baseball move that happened uh, last week, but we'll get to that. But we got to start with the divisional round of the playoffs. And uh, it, was, it all starts this weekend. It starts at Lambeau Field on Saturday afternoon at 430 as the Rams head to Green Bay to face the Packers. And this is going to be a very interesting game, in my opinion here. I mean, the thing that the Rams coming in a little bit banged up, Aaron Donald's banged up at the ribs. He didn't practice. Uh, yesterday, you got Jerry Goff, who's banged up with the thumb. He seems to be progressing too, so he's definitely going to. He's definitely. He didn't start last week, but he's definitely going to start this week. And for this game, I have the Packers win to twenty-four to sixteen, and here's why. Uh, I think that the Rams will stay in this game. I think they'll have success in the run game with uh, Cam Akers. I think that they'll move the ball a little bit. The problem, though, is I just don't think Jared Goff is one hundred percent. And right now, the Packers' offense is better than the Seattle offense. The Seattle offense was very good in the first half of the year, but they really struggled in the second half of the season. As us Giants fans know, we beat them with Colt McCoy. So I do think that the Green Bay offense is better. I think they're going to put up more points in the Seattle offense. I do think that uh, Rodgers, even though he's going to have a tough time getting the ball to Devontae Adams because Jalen Ramsey is going to be on him. Jalen Ramsey has done a good job with DK Metcalf, and he's done a good job with DeAndre Hopkins. So you're going to have you know, Jalen Ramsey on Devontae Adams, but I think that Rodgers gets the ball to Lazard. I think he gets the ball to Valdez Scantling. I think he gets the ball to Tanya. He throws a couple touchdown passes. And I just don't think this Rams offense, because Jared Goff is banged up, is going to do enough. And I think Aaron Donald being banged up, the Packers are going to have more success than they would have in the run game than if Aaron Donald was healthy. So I think they have a, the Packers have a little bit more success in the run day in the run game because Donald Donald is not healthy. And I think that the uh, that the Rams offense just doesn't do enough in this game. And that's why I got the Packers going to the NFC Championship game for the second year in a row, winning by one score, twenty-four to sixteen. But Justin. We know Jalen Ramsey did a good, did a great job with DK and DeAndre Hopkins in the games he faced them this season. Can he continue this with the Adams? And can their offense do enough to get them to the NFC Championship game? It's going to be tough, but I think the Packers should be able to win this game, twenty-three seventeen. Jalen Ramsey has been great. Um, you know, last week absolutely got a DK Metcalf head. Um, you know, he pretty much useless most of that game. Um, and we know, you know, the Packers' big weapon here is Devontae Adams, and then it's, you know, Tanya's really stepped up this year, but that's really been about it with Aaron Jones. Um, if Ramsey could really shut him down and, you know, and make Rodgers have to, you know, use somebody else and somebody else can't really step up, then the Rams have a really, really good chance. It's just trying to guard Devontae Adams is it's so hard. He's so great at getting off the line of scrimmage. Um I you know I, I you know I, I think um, Devontae Adams will be able to make some plays in this game and I think he'll be able to do enough to help this Packers team get the win. Um, I just you know even if he does have a you know even if Ramsey still shuts him down, I still think with how banged up the Rams are on offense or you know you know how healthy he's golf still how healthy he's Cooper Cup, I still think the Packers should be able to win this game at home and move the NFC Championship game. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how healthy both Donald and Goff are because that's going to be a big – but both the, and Donald are pretty healthy. 
that's going to be big in, in terms of winning this game because we've seen with Green Bay physical with them, they struggle. We saw that in the two games last year with San Francisco, especially the NFC, how they really struggled against a team that ran the ball well. We saw it against the uh, – we saw it against – in all their losses, the Vikings and against the Colts. If you get physical, hey, they definitely have trouble defensively. I mean, Green Bay's got a pretty good pass rush. Uh, Preston Smith has had as good a year, but Darius Smith has had a really good year. they got one of the top corners in the main uh, – and Jari Alexander, but the problem with Green Bay is, is you could run on them, and the Rams run the ball well. They use that 12 personnel with two tight ends, Tyler Higby, Gerald Everett. They used that to run the football, and they used that a lot against Seattle. They ran for over 100 yards against Seattle, and they ran uh, – Cam Akers had almost over 175 all-purpose yards against Seattle. So I think that the Rams definitely have a chance in this game, but I just think that obviously the health of golf and the health of, Don, of Aaron Donald are going to be – are going to ultimately make the difference, and that's why I got Green Bay winning it close. Yeah, 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 definitely. That last year, that NFC Championship, yeah, it's a perfect example. They just can't stop their way. And again, if that's kind of the Rams have the formula to be able to beat the Packers, you run the ball, be able to keep Aaron Rodgers off the field. You definitely have a good shot to go in Lambeau and knock them off. Um, again, I would, you know, even if the Packers, you know, play, you know, I would assume coming out going to try to stop their own but again they tried doing that to the Niners last year and they still had no success so yeah you know if the Rams can kind of get an early lead here I believe there's going to be no fans at Lambo either so you kind of get in front you don't have the fans either for the Packers to kind of motivate you to get back into the game so yeah if the Rams can take an early lead and be able to consistently run the ball like they have then yeah you know the, the Rams could go in there and knock off the Packers should be interesting should be interesting but it should be a good first game and we got another, and we'll probably have a good second game of the doubleheader on Saturday, and that's the Ravens, the number five seed, traveling to Buffalo to face the Bills. And let's get this out of the way. I think that uh, Josh Allen is a better quarterback than Lamar Jackson right now, but I do think Lamar Jackson has the better team. And I know it's going to snow in Buffalo, but that might work to, even though Lamar is a little bit scared of that, that might work to the Ravens' advantage. And that's why I got him winning this game 24 20. I think the Ravens will be the team that runs the ball better with J.K. Dobbins. And, and Gus Edwards, I think they run the ball better. I think they run for over 100 yards. I think Lamar Jackson makes some plays in this game, makes some plays off play action, maybe as a touchdown pass to Hollywood Brown, maybe another touchdown pass to Mark Andrews. And I do think on the defensive side of the ball, the Ravens' defense gets pressure on Josh Allen. I think they get pressure on Josh Allen because the Bills' offensive it played well at the end of the year, but it was shaky on Sunday against, against the Colts. I don't think the Bills run the ball well at all. I think the tight the – tight, the, the Ravens did a great job shutting down Derrick Henry. I think they shut down the Bills' run game. They forced the Bills to be one-dimensional. Uh, I think that, you know, Diggs and Beasley are a little bit banged up. I think either Peters or Humphreys take on Diggs and limits his production in this game. And I think this is a really, really close competitive game. But I'm going to go – I'm not going to go with the better quarterback. Josh Allen's the better quarterback. I'm going to go with the better team. And I got the Ravens winning this by one score. But, Justin, Josh Allen has played at MVP level this year. Can he continue this and get the Bills their second straight playoff win? It's going to be tough. But, again, I think they got a shot at home – in the snow, I have the Ravens as well going on the road, be able to knock out the Bills 20 27. Um, you know, for me, I think it's they got to, uh, for you know, Josh Allen, this team, I feel like he's got to get it to a hot start. That first drive is going to be really important to kind of gain momentum and get the early lead. And, you know, even though we saw Lamar Jackson come from behind last week against the Titans on 10 nothing, you know, this Bills offense is very explosive and they, and they can score really, really quickly, and they could be tough to stop. So if they can get an early lead, I you know, and put the Raiders behind the eight ball, I really, really like um, the Bills to come out on top in this game. But 
again, I, I, you know, the way the Ravens defense played last week, stopping Derrick Henry to 48 yards, the Bills aren't going to be able to do more. The Bills won't be able to run the ball at all, I feel like, this week. And I, I, and the Bills, I think Josh Allen's going to have to throw for 350 yards, 400 yards. And in the snow, that's tough to do. That, you know, yeah, I don't care if you play in Buffalo, it's tough to do. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's kind of could be, you know, it's a very, bad matchup I feel like for the Bills for a Raven team right now that's got a lot of momentum and Lamar showed you last week that he can't come back so um, that's why I feel like Baltimore is going to be able to win this game but um, and I think it works snow too I, I think it, it works in the Ravens advantage because they're so much better run the football than the Bills are so I'm going to take the uh, Ravens go on the road and get the win. Yeah, and you brought up a good point about Lamar Jackson that uh, he finally got over that demon of coming back from more than 10 points down because he hadn't done that in his career, and he did that last week against the uh, against the Titans. And the biggest reason he did that was that long touchdown run he had against them. And I think he's going to have a 100-yard game with his legs too. So I think they're going to have – I think the, Bill, the Ravens are going to have 200 yards rushing. They can win this game, you know, with 100 passing. I mean, Lamar last week, he played – he had that perception, but he played well. He got over the hump. So I do think this is a game where the Ravens could have 100 passing yards and win this game because of the way they run the football. And Buffalo, as I've said all year, a lot of people think Buffalo's defense is pretty good. But And then we got a comment from Frank. I think Allen is super hot and will show he's a good QB. Well, we know we, we know Allen's a good QB. You know, we know issue with the Bills here is 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 that uh, that around him the game and defense that becomes an issue like this because if you got to be one-dimensional i don't care how great josh allen is and he's he's right he is clear that he's not only a good quarterback he's a great quarterback if, if you can't fall against defense there's you're, you're not it's going to be very hard to win the game and if you can't stop the run it's gonna be hard to win the game too that's why i think it's a close competitive game i wouldn't be surprised at all if the bills win but i got the ravens win to close yeah you know it's especially the ravens who run the ball and keep the bills offense off the field and Ethan coming from behind, yeah, definitely. You know, the Baltimore Baltimore loves the one time of possession. Um, it it kind of gets an offense too that's like, you know, try to get hit a lot of deep balls and try to make a lot of big plays. It's pretty easy to, or not pretty easy, but again, there's more three and outs when you kind of see a team like this. So the more three and outs too that the Bills could get against a Ravens offense that could be on the field for five, six, seven minutes at a time really could wear down the Bills defense in, in the cold and snow as well. So, yeah, you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see, you know, again, Bills have been on fire. It wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all to see them win Saturday. But, yeah, I just think this is a bad matchup. And, you know, it, things look good for – you know, it's a bad matchup for the Bills playing the Ravens this weekend. Uh, absolutely. I completely agree with that. But we got to get to some game, the early game, as the Browns uh, head to Kansas City to face the Chiefs. And, and I – and we got a matchup of two ex Big 12 quarterbacks. You all remember that game they had in 2016 between Baker Mayfield and uh, and Patrick Mahomes. But the but the thing is this this, this week Mahomes has as much talent or more or even more talent than Baker Mayfield has. So in this game though, I think that Cleveland does match up well with the with, not, with the Chiefs because of their way to because of how they're able to run the ball with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. I think they do that early in this game. I think they control this game early ball with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. The problem is I just think Cleveland's defense, and I, I know they gave up a lot of points against, uh, against the, the, the uh, Steve Harbershine. Their defense did, did play a pretty good game. They forced. they forced four turnovers from the Steelers, so I'll give them that. But I think Pat, Patrick Mahomes is knocking the ball over at a big 
Mahomes. And I think that he's Mahomes is going to have a really, really big game. I think close for about two and a half quarters. But the difference in this game is, is Mahomes against Baker Mayfield. It's very, very hard when the quarterback position is, is, is so crucial in the NFL in 2020. Hard to take Baker Mayfield game over Patrick Mahomes. And I'm just not doing that. I think that's I think the I think they're able to run the ball well. I got the Chiefs winning at 31 because much better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. And he's going to prove that on Sunday. He's going to throw a couple touchdowns. I think Baker will have a decent game, but he'll have I think he'll have a turnover or two. And that'll be the difference. And I got the Chiefs advancing to the NFL championship game, beating the Browns 31-20. But Justin, we know Cleveland has the formula to beat the Chiefs by running the football and keeping Mahomes off the field. But will Baker be able to make enough plays in the passing game for them to pull the upset? It's got to be tough. I got the Chiefs 31-24. I think they'll keep it close. I think it would not surprise me to see the Browns winning at halftime. Um, I, I think we're going to see some rust on KC. It, you know, again, they had the bye last week. All their starters were out pretty much for week 17. So it's going to be three weeks since the last played. Um, and they weren't great against the Falcons team. So I think we'll see some rust early. I think the thing for Baker is when you're going up against Patrick Holmes, this is kind of obvious. If he makes a turnover to and his team falls behind by a score or two, you know, he, he you're not coming back from that. So he's he cannot make one bad decision. That's you know, you have to be pretty much perfect when you go up against and, Patrick and, Holmes. And and we got a comment from Jake. 2018 uh, Army Oklahoma game. The Browns will eat up clock and, and drives, Chubb and Hull. And and the Chiefs will get quick scores off big plays. He's 100 right about that. It'll be it's gonna be very similar to that game. And I think the problem though is is in this NFL, if you could score plays, that's better than the whole football. And that's why I got the Chiefs winning the game. Yeah, you know, I, I would love to see the Browns knock off the Chiefs. That would be great to see. But yeah, I just I, I could definitely see like that Army Oklahoma game. That was a great game. Um, I, I could the definitely way. see that. But who? Oh, Justin, yeah. who won that game? By the way. Oklahoma won in O-double-T. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was like double, double, triple T. Oh, wow, yeah. You're already supposed to host Oklahoma this year, but unfortunately. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. COVID, yeah. Couldn't do that. But um, going back to this game, yeah, you know, I think, yeah, Chubb, Hunt, both get like 15, 20 carries in this game. And, they, you know, yeah, eat up the clock. Keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. You have a chance in this game. I just – Again, go you know, and we've seen it last year. You could be up twenty-four nothing against Patrick Holmes, and and you're in doesn't matter because he's good. He can come back from that. Yeah. So and no lead safe against Mahomes, and I again, I think that's kind of the issue for the Browns. I see them getting out to a hot early start and taking the lead, but again, I just don't know if they're gonna. There's just no way they're gonna be able to maintain that lead unless that they could somehow, you know in like the third, fourth quarter, had like a 10 minute drive, you know, something crazy like that. Just to, you know, keep them off the field. That's really the only chance you, you got to have like a 10 or like a nine, 10 minute drive, like go 90 yards. That, that's really the only chance you kind of have. But um, I, I think the Browns will keep it close. Yeah. It, 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 it should be. I, I mean, I think keep it close for, you know, a half, maybe into the third quarter, but I just don't think that it's just, it's this, it's that simple. If you're picking this game, you could overanalyze as much as you want about, you know, Cleveland's run game and Kansas city's in it and Kansas city has trouble stopping the run, but it's this simple. It's Patrick Mahomes against Baker Mayfield. I just don't think you could pick uh Baker Mayfield to be Patrick Mahomes. I'm sorry. You can't do it. No, you can't. No. And, and you know, Baker is the oldest quarterback um, left in the AFC right now. He's like the, 
which is pretty funny at what 20 and Fr frank just yeah 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 baker's the oldest quarterback coming in baker in the afc baker is older than yeah he's older than uh he's older than patrick mahomes lamar jack and uh and josh allen and uh and frank just commented if the browns come into this game like they did against the steelers they have a great chance of winning and here's where i kind and here's where i kind of disagree with that Patrick Mahomes is not going to turn the ball over four times. He's not just going to, he's not going to do that. So yeah, I think they have a chance to win, but the problem is you're facing the best off. I mean, I know, the, I know this offense hasn't been as good in the, in the second, in the, in the latter half of the year, but this is probably the best offense in football and Patrick Mahomes is not turning the football over. So that's why, and I know he turned it over three times against his dolphins. I get it, but he got that game out of the way. He's not going to turn the ball over. That's why I think, yeah, the game will be close for half, maybe into the third quarter, but because of the fact that Mahomes is much better than Baker, I got to take the Chiefs by two scores. Yeah, you know, I, I could definitely see the Chiefs win by two scores. I, I think the way the Browns play, they keep it the one. But yeah, you know, look the Brown, the Browns to have a change. Yeah, they need like a fluke play. Like again, could you never see Pouncey make a like you know have a bad snap like they like they would need something fluky like that. You know, or if they can get something like that early in the game and they're confident guy high you know then yeah i just yeah you again especially in a playoff game i don't see mahomes throwing two or three interceptions like i really don't not at all not at all not at all i mean he's he was outstanding in the playoffs last year and i got a good feeling he'll be outstanding in the playoffs this year but moving on to two uh first ballot hall of fame quarterbacks who match up on sunday in the late game tom brady and drew Brees. this as obviously the saints beat them twice during the season but this should be a really, really interesting matchup between in, in this game. I mean, I think the Bucs give them a good game this time. I think the Tom Brady's been playing really, really well uh, recently. I think uh, I think the Bucs defense has been playing well too. So I think this is going to be a really close competitive game. But I do have the Saints win at 27-23, and here's why. I think that Tampa is going to move the ball. The problem is, is the, the Saints are going to play more man coverage against the Bucks and the and Washington than Washington did. And I think with the man coverage that the Saints are going to play, and we know Marshawn Lattimore has owned Mike Evans throughout his career, even before Brady got there and when Brady's been in the last two games. Patrick uh, Marshawn Lattimore owns Patrick Mahomes. So I think uh I think that uh, and then we let's just we'll go back to the Cleveland game. And we'll go back to if if Cleveland wins, are you guys gonna eat your words? We absolutely will eat our words. We will admit next week on this show that we were wrong. I will admit that 100%. I will promise you that, Frank. I will admit if Cleveland wins this week, I will admit I was wrong. I will personally admit I was wrong. You could be listening next week, and I will admit right when we talk about the AFC Championship game, I will admit I was wrong if Cleveland wins. So that will happen next week, Frank. I promise you that. But back yeah, to the Bucs. Yeah, I will second that. I, I will second that. I, and I, I I would love to pick the Browns. Trust me. I don't like the Chiefs at all. I, I want to see somebody else win, but – I, I'll definitely eat my word. Next week, Cleveland once. Yes. So back to the Bucks and the Saints, what we were talking about with uh, why I got the Saints winning 27-23. I think Tampa's going to move the ball in this game. The issue, though, is they're not going to get – I don't think they're going to get a lot of rushing yards from Leonard Fournette. And one thing I do think is a big key is, is that the, the Saints are going to play a lot of man coverage. And Mike Evans owns Marshall – no, Marshall Lattimore owns Mike Evans. So that's going to be a matchup where uh, the Bucs are going to have trouble. So I do think the Bucs are going to get down there but they're gonna, and they're going to kick field goals. And I do think the Saints are going to move the ball too. The Tampa Bay secondary gave up over 300 passing yards to Taylor Heineke. Drew Brees, yes, he doesn't push the ball down the field, but he will get the ball to Alvin Kamara. He will get the ball to Michael Thomas. So he will get the ball to those guys and Jared Cook. And I do think they move the ball too. And I think the difference in this game is going to be it's going to be really close. Uh, the, the Saints are going to kick field. They're going to score touchdowns, and the Bucks are going to kick field goals. 
The coaching is going to be a difference too. I feel like that the, the Saints, yes, Brady's the better quarterback, but the Saints have the better roster and the better coach. And I think their defense is going to make a stop when it counts to win this game. So I'm going to go with the team with the better roster and the better coach to beat the team with the better quarterback. And I got the Saints winning 20-23 over the Bucs to get to the NFC Championship game. But, Justin, the Bucs have lost to the Saints twice this year. But Brady has been red hot over the last month. Can he continue this and get to his ninth conference championship game in 10 years? It's going to be tough. Um, obviously, he, he can do it out of anybody. Um, I Again, I'm with you. I think it's coaching. I think Bruce Aaron will not be able to get out of his own way with the game plan. And they're going to try to take some shots, which will not work against the Saints defense. And I think there could be a couple turnovers. And just, you know, because this Bucks team, too, it's, you know, there's some there were some drives, especially last week against Washington, where they went down the field with no issues. And then the next series, there'd be it'll be a three and out, and guys would be all looking around and Brady's yelling at somebody like they're lost. So and against the Saints team that's a top five defense, they can't really have a drive like that. They you know, they gotta be fine on all cylinders in the dome. I need to be tough for them. Um and I think, you know, the Saints are going to be able to win this game. Brady, too, or the Bucs this year are like one in four this year. It's like top five defenses. Um, they've only averaged like only over like 320 yards of offense in those games. Like it's been a real struggle. They got to be able to run the ball more than five times. They got to be able to establish a run game this time. I know the Saints um, rush defense is great, but they got to be able to establish a running game. I wasn't too impressed with both the you know, both these teams last week, you know, the Saints beat a mediocre Bears team and the Bucs had trouble putting away Washington. So I think at home, I think the Saints do take the um, do take the Bucs again for a third time. And I, I think it's more I think it's coaching. I think, you know, Aaron's game plan just again, it just it feeds off of the Saints defense. It just doesn't work. And he's, you know. Again, we'll we'll see if he changes the game plan. I would hope you do after two oh, losses. Boy. Justin, Justin, he's he's not changing his game plan. Yeah. He's done all year long. He's been doing this no risk it, no biscuit, throwing the ball down the field. He's not changing his game plan now. Yeah, I, again, you lost two times. Isn't it time to make adjustments? But again, that just <sighs> yeah, I, I would think so. Belichick would, but Arians yeah. Arians is not going to. Yeah, and, and again, Brady's great, but. You know, football, it's not one guy can win can win you a game. You know, you kind of need the coaching staff a part of it. And, you know, in play call, unless a Brady case over the whole play calling, which I don't see happening either. But I don't I don't know. But, yeah, I, I would think you make adjustments. But you know, we haven't seen it all year. And I think that's why they they uh, lose this game. Yeah, yeah Actually, the last, actually, we're, the we're, last I want, um, this is only Brady's 10th road game in, like, his 42nd postseason game. He's got yeah. 11 touchdowns to 11 INTs, so he's not been great. Yeah, and he's and he's never gone to the Super Bowl when he's been when he hasn't been a one or a two seed. So that's very interesting as well. But but yeah, but you made a really good point about one guy win a game. That's true. That's why Brady right now is definitely better than Drew Brees. But the overall team in New Orleans, the New Orleans I mean, Tampa has a really good roster, but New Orleans has the best roster in football. And they got one of the best coaches in football. I'm not saying Breeze is bad. I still think he's a top 15 quarterback. But I, I do. I, you made a good point there, where that just because just because Brady's better than Breeze doesn't mean that 
the Bucs are better than the Saints, and that has been proven this year. The, the Saints have the better roster, and they got the better coach, and that's exactly why I got them winning it. And I look at Frank's comment right now, I think the Saints win this game, and I agree with them. I agree with them. I know it's hard to beat a team three times in one year, but I agree with them there where the, the, the Saints win this game. And, and I've, as I've said on this show uh, today, the Saints win because of the coaching and because of their roster. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's not basketball where one guy could kind of take over and do whatever he wants. Um, it's football. It really, you know, it doesn't, you know, it, it's all 22 and the coaching staff's got to win the game for football. Yeah. It's not one guy beat you in, in the NFL or college. Yeah. You know, you, you need all 22 guys clicking and you need, you know, the coaching staff calling the right things and having the right game plan. And right now, the Saints are the team that click that's been clicking better than the Bucks. Even though the Bucks have won a bunch of games in a row, you look at some of the teams the Bucks have played in the, in this winning streak. They've beaten the Falcons twice. They've beaten the Vikings. They beat the Lions. And they beat Washington. The best team they've beaten has been Washington. And so you would think the Saints right now are the team that's clicking. I mean, I know the Bucks are clicking, but I feel like the Saints are clicking a little bit better than the Bucks. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. Um... Yeah, because again, the, I you know I want to see this Bucks offense. I know they, I know Washington's a good defense, but again, I you know, I know their secondary's a little weak, but yeah, you know the Bucks really haven't played much. The Saints looked good last week. I know that it will, you know, they looked. I wasn't too impressed playing a Bears team that played not to lose. They struggled a little bit on offense. I'll give you yeah. that. They definitely struggled a little bit on offense. I'll I'll, I'll give you that there. They had a tough time. You know, Kamara ended up with 99 rushing yards. He had a tough time getting going throughout the entire game. A lot of those rushing yards came at the end of the game. But they found their groove in the second half. I feel like they found their groove offensively in the second half of that game. Yeah, because I think that was only like the eighth quarter, like Breeze, Kamara, and Thomas have all been on the field or something like that. So, like, again – trying to get in rhythm and just in their, their timing, you know, those are their big three and they all haven't been on the field. It's kind of, you know, just taking some nine to get going. I felt like too. Absolutely. 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 So we got to head to some, get, get some NFL news this week. And first we got to talk about Doug Peterson getting fired from the Eagles. Cause we thought at the end of the year that Doug Peterson's job was safe there. And then he obviously tanks that last game of the year against the giants. One week later, no, I guess against Washington. One week later, he winds up losing his job. And it definitely is a weird situation in Philadelphia right now. I mean, I would think that both both should have went Howie Roseman and Chuck Peterson. Howie Roseman definitely deserved to go, especially passing on DK Metcalf and Justin Jefferson when, when the receiver position is a big need, and he passed on both those guys. I think Howie Roseman should have been gone too. The interesting question is what's going to happen with Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts. Some people think now that uh, that Peterson's gone, that Wentz has a chance to regain the starting job. Me personally, I don't I don't think so. I, th- I think right now the Eagles are Jalen Hurts' team, and I think Carson Wentz gets traded. I, my prediction is he gets traded to uh, Indianapolis to join Frank Wright. With the Colts, I think that Jalen Hurts is the guy right now for uh, for the for, for the Eagles, and I think the big reason why he got fired, I think obviously there were other things that, that before the tank, the game that he tanked, but I think the game that he tanked led to it. I think him tanking that game, even though it might have been a directive from Howie Roseman, him ending up tanking that game and seeing all the negative backlash the Eagles had to receive from that, I was a big reason. That was that was a, not a big reason, but a reason he got fired. Yeah, that definitely. Um... Yeah, you know, because he lost the locker room too. You could see what some of the players were saying. He lost the locker room in those players. And again, how do you respect your coach after that? It it, it would have just been a terrible situation, and things would have got it worse. Um, you know, throughout the throughout you know throughout next year. Um, oh, I see Jason Lincoln Rodney's floating around. 
Uh, that would be that'd be that'd be interesting. That'd be very interesting to see him uh him him and uh him and uh him and Jerz together, but I just don't, re- I don't get why he would leave Oklahoma with the team he's got coming, coming next year. And we'll get yeah. to that later in the show. The yeah. team he's got coming back next year with Spencer Rattler. I don't get why he would leave Oklahoma. Yeah, not now. Cause that's a, uh, cause I guess he, you know, that AD, um, Joe Casillo owns like the best athletic director in the country. It's a fan base. It's a great fan base, Oklahoma. I think it would have to be the perfect job. Now getting Jalen Hurts reunited would be a, you know, would be a step. I, you know, it would be a good, um, idea for the ride, but I think it would have to be the perfect, perfect job to lead OU. And especially, yeah, what you're saying, the team they got coming back, I don't think this year would be the year to leave. Um, but I think, you know, Peterson lost that locker room. And I, I think next year would have been worse. I did hear, too, I was reading something. It sounded like he told the owner, he told somebody in the front office, you know, that he was done with not, he was done being told what to do. So, yeah, and he might have been told to to tank that game from Howie yeah. Roseman from upstairs. But for some reason, the Eagle organization, which is which is why I think the Eagle organization right now is is, is a joke because if they if if Howie Roseman told him to tank the game and he tanked it and made, and made those decisions, and then Roseman keeps his job, but he doesn't. That's that's just that's weird to me. Yeah, because I, I think it was Roseman. I, I think he was told in that you know before the game, hey, your job's safe, so. We're gonna, you know, tank this game and, you know, throw it away, you know, and your job's still safe. So I, I think it's Rose because if he had any idea, the chance that he knew he could get fired, he would have never tanked that game. Never. No. Never, no you know, no, no. it makes no sense. But yeah, I, I think it's the front office, and yeah, I, you know, it was probably a good idea, anyways, just to move, uh, just to move on from the situation because yeah, it, it was boiling and with the fires and all that. Yeah, it's a it's a terrible thing, um, but yeah, I, I think it, you know, it, it was, I guess, a little bit surprising, but you could kind of, it was like, our, you know, it, it wasn't shocking though. No, it wasn't shocking because I saw the, the, the reaction of the Eagles players, especially Miles Sanders who said he wasn't for what happened. I saw the reaction of the Eagles players, and that's when I knew I wouldn't be surprised. We said it last week on the show. I wouldn't be surprised if Doug Peterson ends up losing his job, and then a week later he does. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, because yeah, those players are unhappy, and I don't, I don't blame the players at all, because yeah, because they're going out there, their job is to win the game, and your coaching staff and your front office want you to lose. Uh, yeah, it, you know, and I think that was the big thing is how do you how how do the players actually respect him, and how, how do the you know how the players respect Peterson in that locker room next year, you know, for what happened, you know, how do you know I guess even the team, how do they even you know respect the front office for doing this like yeah that's why i feel like roseman's got to go honestly i feel like roseman's got to be fired too you got to fire him and i'm a friend i'm friends with the eagles fan he thinks the same thing he's like i want roseman gone too you know he's happy peterson's gone but he wants he wants roseman gone as well yeah it's got to be a brand new era in philadelphia i mean the eagles are a mess right now and the only thing that could save the eagles is getting jamar chase or or Devontae smith that's the only thing that's going to save him right now yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, yeah, they they need a big playmaker. Yeah, they yeah they they just need to just throw out the old and just bring in some new guy. Yeah, and just bring in a whole new front office to reset everything. Yeah, I, I agree. Just reset it all. Exactly, exactly. We'll do our last our last NFL story is going to be about Deshaun Watson, and obviously we talked about this a little a little bit last week. We hit on it when uh, Nick Casario was hired as the GM. He was unhappy in Houston. He's unhappy in Houston. He's very happy right now in Houston. Even Andre Johnson, uh, one of the 
the great, probably the greatest Texans player to, of all time. He's actually backing Deshaun Watson right now for being unhappy in Houston because of some of the decisions that are being made. I think I don't know if it was all hiring Casario. I think it was the fact that uh, he, he he didn't have any in, Watson didn't have any input on who the GM is. And you made a good point earlier in the show with Brady. This is this is not the NBA. You can't just have input on what's going to happen. I know Deshaun Watson is a great player. He's a top five quarterback in this league, even though he went four and 12 this year, but you can't have, you, you can't just have input on what's going to happen. I think, uh, I think, I think that, I think that's, that's right. They don't give Watson any input, but the, the thing is, is, uh, you know, he was unhappy with uh, Casario. I think the big reason he was because he wasn't notified about the hiring. And then now he's not notifying that Eric the didn't get it, get an interview. And I think he should be upset about that. I think Eric the would be great with the, uh, with DeAndre Hopkins, I think that's a guy that DeAndre Hopkins wants. But yeah, it's just it's just a, a just a mess of a situation in Houston right now. Part of it too is is Casario. I don't think this is as big of a story, but Casario, you saw New England and why Brady, why big reason why Brady didn't resign there this year. It's because of the was the talent around him, and you saw the talent around Cam Newton and and, and Watson seeing this and saying this Patriots organization. The big, the reason they were so great was is because they had they had Bill Belichick and they had Tom Brady. The whole of the Patriots has been personnel. What what was Casario? He was the director of pro personnel with the Patriots. So Watson's thinking, oh no, here we go. We're gonna we're gonna have <laughs> we're, our personnel is gonna be awful, and I'm gonna have to carry my team for the next ten years. He does not want to do that. That's why right now he's about a trade, and I don't blame him. Yeah, it's tough, you know. And the thing is too, you know. Where the Texans are too right now, they're $25 million under budget. Like, so they can't even spend any money. They have no first round pick. They, you know, uh, yeah, he said yeah, that he found out on Twitter about he, I mean, Jay said a franchise quarterback will, will at least know what's going on. It's not that he didn't, didn't get to give his input. It's more that he figured he found out on Twitter. He did not. Yeah. He did not want to find that out on Twitter. Obviously. No, he did not want to find that out on Twitter. And that's another, and listen, he was ticked off at the Texans organization uh, when he traded DeAndre Hopkins and rightfully so. That was one of the worst trades we've ever seen in NFL. One of the first trades we've ever seen in NFL is when they traded DeAndre Hopkins for a second round pick. It was an absolutely terrible trade. So he's really upset at things that are going on right now. But look at potential destinations for him. San Francisco would be a really good one. That would be a really good one for him. San Francisco, they would be a top, top team. Uh, New England, I don't know if they would be a top team because of the talent around him. But I would say that if he did go to New England, should definitely consider getting DeAndre Hopkins. Looking at where they are in the draft, they should really consider trading for DeAndre Hopkins because that would at least put them uh, right with Miami. I don't know if it would make them better than Buffalo, but it would put them right with Miami. But uh, – but, and then you look at other teams like the Bears. The Bears, uh, that could be a decent destination with their defense and, and Allen Robinson and uh, the, the running back guy. And then the uh, and then the uh, Saints. You look at that. Uh, that be if the Saints somehow got De- DeAndre uh, being uh, Deshaun Watson, they would easily be the be- they'd be the best team in football easily. Oh yeah, you know you're getting my hopes up there in the pay show on here. You know him and Hopkins. Oh God, that, that would be uh, that that would be nice to watch offensively. Um, yeah, you know, um, San Fran would be a good spot. I was here, you know, too, because I don't know if you saw this today. The, I guess some of the Dolphins players are not. Um, oh, yeah, that's one that I missed with the Tua thing. I think, yeah, and if you, if you could, if you could, and if the Dolphins could end up getting Watson, you trade Tua away. I'm sorry, yeah. you trade Tua to get Deshaun. I don't care what anybody. I don't care what people say that he won four games. If you have the opportunity to get Deshaun Watson, you're getting him. You're trading Tua. You're trading Tua to the 
Texans and and uh, and 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 you're giving the Texans that number three pick. That's what you're doing. You're getting Deshaun Watson. I don't care. That's a that's a franchise quarterback for the next ten to fifteen years. And then you got uh Broncos with that defense trading the number three pick and two to get Watson. If you got the opportunity to, if I'm the Dolphins. Oh yeah, definitely. You, yeah, you're getting you're getting a top talented quarterback there. You you know you got some weapons around him. You got a nice, very nice core. Um, obviously, I don't want him to go Miami. I don't want to see uh, Deshaun Watson twice a year because he destroyed us in New England um, many times. So, uh, but yeah, they can get him Miami. What you know that's a that's that would be a really really fun team down there. Miami. Miami would finally finally have their franchise quarterback, and then with the Saints. Um, if he ends up going to Saints, uh, yeah, that's definitely the best team. Him and Michael Thomas together. Alvin Kamara, that defense. Yeah, that that's a scary team. That's that's a team I do not want to face. Um, yeah, it, you know that would you know and what and what like a step from Drew Brees or Sean Watson like that's you're not going and, you know. Yeah, and it'd be interesting to see what Frank thinks about Watson going to the Dolphins. I mean, oh, yeah. if, if would he get would he get rid of Tua or would he would he take would he would he would he get rid of Tua in the number three pick and for Deshaun Watson? I think he would. I think anybody yeah. anybody would do that. Anybody would obviously to have Deshaun Watson. Anybody would do that. Oh yeah, I think Steve. I heard like Steve Young interview the other day. He's like, I would you know I do whatever you want to or do you know whatever whatever it takes to get Deshaun Watson. I do it. You know if he wants out of Houston, you know because he's Top of the line quarterback, so yeah, I would I would think so. You know, lot you know Watson is right there. Um, and again, I know he threw for like the most pass yards. I you know, and look look, he still had a good. I know they're four and twelve, but he still played well. It was again their defense stunk. They you know he didn't have a ton of weapons, but they still put up some points even after they lost Will Fuller. They didn't really have anybody. You know, they didn't even have a running game. Like he you know those four wins are pretty much on him. And again, they had a little talent around them. You know, again, they could have been an eight and eighteen. They've been a, you know, so yeah, you know, he, he's such a great, great player in the NFL. It's, it's you know, I, I guess with the talent they have around Houston, it's sad to watch him down there because he, he does deserve a lot better than what he's getting at Houston. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's just it's absolutely terrible what Houston's done, tearing their entire team apart. And you know, we'll see what ends up happening there. I, I I honestly, at this point, I hope he ends up getting traded and he goes to a San Francisco or a New Orleans or or or, or even I hate to say it, your Patriots, just to be in a better situation, just just so we, so we, so we could see what he could do and, and we could see him in the playoffs every year. We don't have to see him be four and twelve. We want to see Deshaun Watson in the playoffs every year. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, yeah, he, he deserves it. He he he. You know, I've, I've said it. He's one of the top quarterbacks in the league. He, we've seen him with DeAndre Hopkins and, and what he's had on offense. You know, so he, so yeah, you know, he he deserves a lot better one than what they're getting because he's a point. You know, he played at Clemson. He's a winner. You know, this. You know, he knows how to win. So yeah, I yeah, get him anywhere that's a functional organization right now, and and yeah, he could really turn that turn your team around. Absolutely, absolutely. So we got to go to uh, college football, and we got to talk about the uh, national championship game uh, from Monday night, and and Alabama winning their sixth national title in twelve years. Nick Saban winning his seventh overall, just a, a completely dominant performance by Alabama. But the big story was Devontae Smith. Ohio State had no interest; had, had could not cover Deontay Smith, Devontae Smith at all. He had two hundred and fifteen receiving yards. Right about Ohio State secondary, Jace and Justin, their secondary outside of Sean Wade is Wade is not good at all, and 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 and. Devontae Smith proved that, 
mean, he he didn't even play. He played pretty much. He played a little a little more than half the game. He still had 215 receiving yards. Mac Jones was outstanding uh, in that game too. The Alabama was able to run the ball defensively. They were able to contain Justin Fields. Just a big win by Alabama, and they proved this year they were clearly the best team in college football. And this might be one of the best Alabama teams ever. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. I, I think it's better than 019. Now, again, it's a it's a different college football even from 12 years ago offensively. It's it's a totally different ball game. But yeah, you know that that you know Devonte Smith six yards away from Jamar Chase's record last year for like most reception yards in um in like a BCS or national championship game. And yeah, he he pretty much played one half. Yeah, he easily would have broke that. You know, if not for the dislocated finger. Um, but yeah, it was just absolutely dominant. And that Alabama team was just head and shoulders above again, 30, you know, I am so impressed. Nordane held that team to 31 points. Um, you talk about the secondary, Sean Wade had a really, really tough year. And it, it probably would have been better just to stick his name last year in the draft and, you know, going on last year instead of coming back this year, unfortunately for him. Um, but yeah, they that Alabama offense averaged seven and a half yards per play. They just did whatever they wanted. They just pretty much did whatever they wanted on offense. Um, he could not tackle Najee Harris. He again, he's gonna be scary in the NFL because he's 6'2, 230, and he can catch. You know, he you know, he he's gonna be fun and whoever drafts him in the first round that um in April. So it was absolutely complete domination. Oh, you can see Fields was not healthy for the most part. Oh, that was uh, that was obvious. Yeah, yeah, that was obvious. Yeah, it was. Yeah, you know, he again, and even if it was a healthy Justin Fields, they still had no shot. They can't. Oh it no, just, no. This, you know, I again, it's this offense. I just, I don't. I just, they're just. It's just so tough to stop this offense for sixty minutes. It's just, it's just flat out impossible with everybody they have. You know, again, imagine, you know, if it was if Waddle was healthy, I didn't like how he was even in that in the field last night. But imagine Waddle was healthy all year. It's just oh, it's yeah. just it's just scary. And um, that, you know, and, and I guess, you know, too, um, that 2017 recruiting class, Mac Jones was like the third lowest rated guy. They had Najee Harris, they had Alex Leatherwood, um, Waddle, um, Ruggs, Judy, um, Moses, I think there's a couple other I'm missing. There's uh, Jarek Wills. Like that 2017 recruiting class we had could go down as the greatest ever. You know, um, it's just yeah, they they just had so much talent. And again, some of you know, again it's it's bad and good. You know, it, again it, there could be some more parity if you expanded the playoffs. I feel like you know, but. Yeah, I heard it was the lowest rated college football game since like 04. So. Yeah, but but, it, but I think the problem there is is the game's just not competitive. These games are just yeah. the last three national championship games have not been competitive at all, and I think that's a, that's that's a real problem for the sport. Really, if you look at it, uh, five of the last six uh, semifinal games just have not been competitive either. I think there's been one competitive game in the college football playoffs in, playoff in three years, and that was that that uh, Clemson Ohio State semifinal game. I think it's really bad for the sport having all these games that are just not competitive at all. Yeah, you're you're exactly right, and I think it's parity. Cincinnati, Georgia was the highest rated bowl game this year. Wow! People are interested in the group of five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're getting there, Justin. You got a good point there, Justin. 
even if they lose by 20. Like, again, people are just interested in watching them. I, I think it would be – it's, again – I don't think they expanded to 2026 anyways. Like, I think the contract runs through to 2026, which, again, things could get even worse because you, you got to expand it. You, you have to. Again, people are getting bored of this. And, look, I, I, I love college football. But, yeah, I want to see some new things. I want to see something like Mark Madness where it's like we get, like, a Cincinnati and a National Championship game. Like, like come on. Like, yeah, it, again, it's – it needs work, and I want to see it expand. It's yeah. just it better for the sport. Yeah, the difference between, you know, college basketball, yeah, the, and, and, and college football. And I think college football is still a little bit more popular because you have top end. But but why college basketball? Did, you can make a case – well, you can make a case college basketball is a little bit better. It, it doesn't get as high of ratings during the during the season, during the regular season, but during the in the playoffs, the is, is much better. Games are much better. Even though the talent level isn't as, as high, that, that's obvious. These are just basketball when you get later in. Yeah, because yeah, you get you get some upsets. You get like that, you know, UConn a couple years ago as a seven seed. You know, you you get the UMBC one. Yeah, it's just you never know what could happen. And again, it's kind of you know obviously different football and basketball where basketball. Again, one bad shooting night, and yeah, you're eliminated. But football, it's like there's a reason Alabama hasn't lost to an unranked team since 2007. Like since Saban's first against like Louisiana Monroe, it's just it's kind of hard to upset teams in college football just with the talent, you know, up front, and then with just all this talent. It's just it's you know it's totally different. It's tough to get that upset. You know, it's again, it's, you know, it's tough to, yeah, it's tough, it's tough to upset teams. And yeah, like college basketball. Yeah. You just, you never know what could happen in March. And yeah. You know, who knows again, a one eight, you know, maybe Alabama or, you know, somebody goes down playing yeah. three straight top eight teams. You, you yeah. never know. Yeah. College football needs to need their, they need to, for their rate, they need to start expanding this playoff because it's really, it's, it's in, you know, one area of the country, it's down south, a little bit in the Midwest because of Ohio State. But be, be, there was a time where I'd say like five, six years ago, college football was right there as the second best sport outside of the NFL. Now it's starting to it's starting to it's starting to decline because of lack of parity. I think that's the biggest reason why college football is declining. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I think you take out all the SEC teams in, in Clemson and Florida State, and I think like the, there's been one national championship winner since like you know. Um, it, it's only happened like I think Ohio State, I think, is like the only one since maybe like 05, 06, or somewhere around there. Like, again, like the North teams, like even the USC's out west now. It, it yeah, it's just it, again, the college football just runs to the southeast, and again, it still starts changing. Yeah, it's just gonna be the same thing. You could find a four star that doesn't want to sit out his first, second year, and he'll go to a Cincinnati, maybe, or, or you know, a coastal Carolina. like. Yeah, it, it would be much better. It definitely would bring maybe some more four stars instead of all going to Alabama and LSU and Clemson. Maybe they go and trickle down to Cincinnati, you know, or, or Coastal. Again, we don't know until we try at least. But again, they, they, the SEC runs the the SEC runs it, you know. Exactly, exactly. And I think, and I've been a fan of, of expanding the playoffs. But th after this year, I'm starting to be a fan of it. I think we should go. We should go to eight teams. It would. It would. Uh, it would. It would 
uh, keep more fan bases interested during the season, and it would keep more regions involved as well. Keep more regions involved and keep more fan bases interested. Right now, I'm for an 18 playoff. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. It, it definitely will be. Um, it, it keeps teams. Yeah, it'll definitely keep more people into it. You know, we, you know, even if you lose one game. Like in Alabama or else, you still have a chance. Yeah, to the, get the, the, the old system was bad because if you pretty much if you lost the game, more than likely you were done. Now this system, you could lose a game, but if you lose two games, you're probably done. So yeah. they need to have a new system to keep people, more people interested and, and, and keep more areas of the country interested. Yeah, definitely. Even though I'd rather go back to the BCS at this point because – Again, you know, I, I'd rather be back to the BCS where they – Jace put a comment down. When the when and only the top teams are the only teams who get national media exposure, that is what makes the top recruits go into those schools. And exactly, that's a great point by Jace. That's why the best recruits are going to the Clemsons. The best recruits are going to the Alabamas. The best recruits are going to the Ohio States. The best recruits are going to the Oklahomas because those are the schools that are getting media attention. That's a great point by Jace there. Yeah, because look at the Pac-12. Oh, you know, USC's dropped – Big time. I know. I know. You know, recruiting last few years. I know this year, twenty twenty one. I think Clay Helton's he's got a pretty good one. Oregon's been steady, but you know, like you don't see those. It's yeah. It's always the Alabamas. It's always Ohio State. It's always the Clemson's. It's always the Floridas. That's yeah. It, that's the problem. And we need to you know give some of these smaller schools more attention. The Cincy's. You know, we don't have to give all of them the attention, but the ones that have a chance to do something. Again, Cincinnati's got 16 starters coming back from a team that gave Georgia all they could handle. They have a shot next year. They give somebody, you know, they, they give somebody a run for the money again. But again, we don't know until we, um, so you give them a chance. And you know, I know Fickle's been doing a great job on the recruiting front right now. I think he's, he's got a bunch of four stars, I believe. So um, at the moment, but yeah, you you gotta give some of these smaller teams more exposure. You gotta show them in the rankings that, Hey, you have a shot. And some of those recruits could go trickle because they'll play right away at a small school instead of Alabama and waiting a year or two. Absolutely. 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 And, and, and this leads us leads me to my next, my next uh, point here. Uh, Looking into next year, you talked about Cincinnati. Uh, What what does it look like in terms of what teams are going to be the top teams? I think Clemson with, uh, with the quarterback now with DJ, going to be the starter. I think they're going to be one of the top teams. Obviously, Alabama will be, even though they lose all those guys, they just reload. Uh, Oklahoma, I think, will be one of the top teams. I think Ohio State will be a little bit down. Cincinnati, I think, is going to be a surprise. Georgia will be a surprise. And another one that could be could be a surprise there, um, I'm just trying to think, uh, is Indiana, if they get if Penix Jr. recovered from his ACL. Yeah. Um, so, for me, I, I love Oklahoma and what they got coming back. I know these lost Ramble yesterday in Miami. They're one of their top wide receivers. But, again, you saw that team play at the end when they got going. And we talked about League Riley, but, yeah, that team's going to be really fun to watch. Uh, Clemson's losing some, but, again, we saw what DJ Alouie did against Nordain. Again, that, you know, even losing um, Trevor Lawrence, it's not going to be daunting. Um, Alabama, the 2020 recruiting class that Nick Saban just signed, I guess is the greatest recruiting class that's ever, you know, at the moment. It's like rated the highest wow, ever for recruiting wow, class. Wow, wow, wow. They're not going anywhere. Um Cincinnati, I you know, they got 16 stars coming back. And they actually next year they go to South Bend and they play at Indiana. So that'll be have, interesting. That'll be interesting. And Notre Dame won't yeah. be as good next year, though, because they lose a lot of guys, right? 
Who? Uh, Notre Dame. No, no, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, they did just bring in Jack Cohn, the Wisconsin transfer for quarterback. Oh, okay, okay that'll yeah. be that'll help. Yeah, um, that helps a bit, but yeah, they I think they'll take a mini setback next year. Um, one team kind of, I guess, I think so far, they are in the early rankings. People have North Carolina number nine. Oh, I that's a team I forgot. They just yeah, got, that, that's a team that that, that that's going to be really good. I think. Yeah, and they just added Ty uh, Chandler for Tennessee, top running back there. Um, Utah, Charlie Brewer. Uh, of, of course, yeah. Jace has got to bring up Utah. Of course, he's got to bring up Utah. Charlie Brewer. Yeah, good point. Charlie Brewer from Baylor. TJ Pelger from Oklahoma. Look out for them in the back. Yeah, yeah, of course. George Jace has got to bring up his Utes. He's got to bring yeah. up his Utes. USC is going to be tough to beat next year. Katie oh, yeah. Slovis, man. They, they, oh, yeah. they got, you know, they're they're going to be good again. And then um, kind of the last point, Oklahoma, too. They they get on Kenny Brooks back, that 1,000-year rusher for 2019's back. We're sitting out this year, so okay, that will help out too. But yeah, Georgia, it's going to be right there again. Alabama, Ohio State, I know they're getting like the top pass rusher too in the class. I, oh, I guess we know they're known for pass rushers with uh, yeah. Joe with the Bose, the brothers, and uh, Chase Young. Yeah, so and then um, Harrison next year, I think, is going to be one of the top guys. Um, for them as well, but yeah, you know, again, it's the same old teams, you know, Indiana, yeah, it's a nice story for them. My oh, actually, you just brought up Miami, yeah, um. I, because I do love um, Jay, Jay's brought up Miami with Deer King because I love the offensive coordinator Lashley, especially when he was at UConn. He, you know, UConn offense scored like 24 points a game that year. Again, that they gave up, they didn't give up 40 points a game. You know, who knows? You know, I, I really do like him. And getting Christian Rambo yesterday, Oklahoma's top wide receiver, I, I definitely could see Miami. Then they open up with Alabama next year. So we're, you know, they, they got an early test. So. We'll find out a lot about by Miami. Hopefully, if there's not conference games. Um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, hopefully. But yeah, yeah you know, it's again, it's the same old teams we're talking about, which not surprising. But again, it's that's been college football lately. Yeah, it would be great to have an 07 type season. Where oh just- yeah, oh, I can remember that 07 season with uh, LSU and Ohio State. West Virginia had to play Pitt on the last day, and they lost. I think Missouri was playing Oklahoma, and they lost too. So, yeah, it would chase Daniel. So, yeah, nice to have that 07 season back, but I just don't think that's happening. No, I love it. Kansas, Kansas ranked number two. Mark, yeah, Mark Mangino, just Jayhawks, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Kansas, that, that, that Kansas, that is the most yeah, random But that, that, was, that, was, that was to leave in Harris's year when they were there, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, you would love to have something like that, but I don't see it happening. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We, yeah, yeah. So we're, we're going to shift to baseball, and we got a New York teammate. Uh, isn't the Yankees that made some huge moves last week? But before that, here's a promo from Keys to the City. Clovercrest Media Group presents a CMG podcast, Keys yes. to the City. I crossed up by Colby, roll float to Shaq, and then Shaq goes like this, and the rest is history. Pay attention. Don't tell me what to do, devil woman. Speaking of those Lakers. But I, but I, hold on, fun. But I didn't make my I didn't make I said Denver's going to win. Yeah, you did. You said that. There's no other show like that. Clover Crest is doing great things right now. Streaming everywhere. Thank you, Ted and Trevor. They will be on uh, this Friday. I think this Friday, uh, talking about the division. Him, uh, Ted, Trevor, and Joe will be talking divisional round playoff games in the league. So check out Keys to the City later on this week. But we got to get to baseball, and the Mets 
made the blockbuster trade, acquiring Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco from the Indians for uh, for for pretty much the only known player is uh, is Ahmed Rosario, and then you got th- three minor leaguers too. And I don't know if the uh, if the other guy, they uh, if Jimenez, he, I think he was with them too. So Jimenez and Rosario are the only two guys the Indians are getting. But we obviously know the Mets got the better trade, and and right now the Mets are looking like I would say right now. They're a top four team in the in the National League, and you could argue maybe in all of baseball. If you look at look at the dot, I would say may say the Yankees are better than them, but I think arguably are a top five team in baseball. You look at the NL with the Dodgers, the Padres, and look at the Braves. The Mets are right there. You're looking at the rotation right now. You got Jacob Degrom, one of the best pitchers in baseball. Carrasco's a really good too. Strowman's good. You got uh, Syndergaard, but he's coming off Tommy John surgery, but he could help that rotation. And that lineup now is a top ten lineup in the game. You got. Uh, Pete Alonzo. Yes, he didn't have a great year last year, but it was a 60-game season. You got Pete Alonzo, Michael Conforto, uh, Jeff McNeil, Dominic Smith. This is a legitimate lineup. This is a legitimate team. And this is a leg- definitely a legitimate contender in the in the National League East. And, and I think this is this team very easily could be contending for the World Series. I really th- think that Steve Cohen being aggressive has really is going to help the Mets. And don't be surprised they go out and get Trevor Bauer and uh and, or George Springer. Don't be surprised they get one of those two guys because the Mets. With this new ownership group, they are a big market team, and they're going to spike it. But Justin, I got a couple questions. Uh, does this move? Uh, how how does this move improve the Mets line in their rotation? Yo, lineup wise, um, that middle kind of, or you know, middle infield there, you know, with no Cano this year, you know, Rosario, I think, is going to be a pretty good player. But again, he's you know, you add a guy like Francisco Lindor that brings protection of a Pete Alonzo. And again, if they ever figure out DH or not in the National League, you got Dominic Smith to be a DH every day. Um, that middle of the lineup becomes really, really good with Big Neal as well. Um, I really, you know, I I think, you know, it's going to be a solid, solid lineup that you just, you add a 300 hitter like Francisco Lindor that does have some power, has speed, um, he does it all, you know, he's one of the top four shots in all of baseball. And then, yeah, rotation lies, you bring back or you bring Carrasco, you'll get Syndergaard, I think later in the summer, I believe like June or July, they're thinking, I think he's going to come back. Um, you know, yeah, if they get one more starter with, with the ground again, it, you know, could it be a Bauer? I guess it could be a Seth Lugo or they may put him in the bullpen. Um, I like the Peterson kid, the rookie last year that they had. So, yeah, this this rotation is, you know, you know, what you have in that rotation, you know, one through three when you, you get Syndergaard back, um, it, it's solid. You know, I think, yeah, it, again, I think they're right there with the Padres. I think I'd put them third, and it's like neck and neck. I So I put them third behind the Padres and Dodgers. And then it's like three A, three B with them to breathe. Like I, you know, I don't really have a favorite yet out of those two, but I feel like they're right, they're right there. That leads me to my next question: Are they clearly the best team in the NL East? I think they're clearly better than the Nationals. They're clearly better than the Phillies, and obviously the Marlins. But are they better than the Braves? Does this move make them better than the Braves? You know, I've been going back and forth. I, I'm gonna. For now, I'm going to put them second still because I like the Braves bullpen better still than the that's Mets. The, that's the issue. That's why I think it would help for yeah. them to, to, to have Lugo in the bullpen because they're going to need him in the bullpen more than they need him in the rotation. 
Yeah. You know, and I've been thinking this too for the Mets. I know, you know, they're still on Springer and Bauer, but why don't you go out and sign like a guy like Brad Hand, who's like a top 10 reliever in the game? That would be huge. Because the thing yeah. is, that, yeah, say they go out and sign a Springer, okay, you're improving your lineup. Bullpen matters. Bullpen yeah. really does matter. You got to be solid in all three areas to win a World Series and win a, to win a World Series. You got to have a good lineup, a good rotation, and you got to have a good bullpen. And that's the thing that could be missing for the Mets if they, uh, this year. That's the one thing that could keep them from contending for the division or contending for a World Series. Yeah, I'm with you there. You know, I know Diaz had a better year, but again, you, we you all know, know we all know what happened with Diaz in that game against the Yankees last year, though. We yeah. all they had that seven to two lead, and they get and they lost that game to the Yankees. We all remember that game. Yeah, yeah, that was a uh, that that was a great finish there by um, by Diaz pulling that one. But yeah, I think it's bullpen. I I think the the Braves are a tad better than them right now. Um, I think just overall, I think they're. I think the Mets pitching staff, maybe, you know, I want to see how healthy the Breeze get that uh, pitching staff. I assume Soroka is going to be healthy and back at their number one next year, but they just signed Morton, too. I think the Breeze are a little bit better, and I think the bullpen puts them above. The, the Breeze bullpen isn't great, but it's a better bullpen than the Mets. Um, so I, I think the Braves are just a tad better than them. But, again, they go out – if the Mets go out and sign a Brad Hand, um, they go out sign a George Springer, then I – Probably put them ahead of the Braves. I think, you know, more if they get a bread hand because they really do need to help out that bullpen. So now that you have the Braves ahead of them, my question is going to be, where would you put the, the Mets in the National League? Would you have them as a playoff team? Yeah, I'd put them as like the no, number one or two wildcard team. I'd put them fourth, you know, behind the Dodgers, Padres, Braves. So I'd probably put them as a second wildcard team more, more than likely. Yeah, it, it's it, yeah. I, I agree that I agree that I I actually agree with you. I have them second to the break. I have them finishing second, and I have them as a wild as a wild card team. But if they play 162 games, I I think they win more than 90 games easily. Oh yeah, I, I could totally see it if they, if they stay healthy. If the rotation stays healthy. Lindor stays healthy. Yeah, it, and again, you know, and Alonzo bounces back like he should. Then yeah, I I definitely see this team probably winning about 95. I could even say close to 100 games, but. I, I think it depends on I, I you know again I I think it all kind of falls in the bullpen because they could blow five games from the bullpen so I'd say yeah that, I think they definitely get ninety I could say 95, 90, you know ninety five maybe around a hundred but pendant you know bullpen yeah bullpen's gonna be the big question for the Mets but we got to move on to a sad story in baseball on Friday as the legendary Tommy Lasorda unfortunately passed away. Obviously, we know Tommy Lasorda, uh, manager of the Dodgers from, for, for 21 years, from 1976 to 19 uh, to, to 1996, uh, led them to the World Series in 1977, 1978, 1981, and 1988. So he led the Dodgers to the World Series four times, uh, won the World Series and led to the World Series five times, uh, four times. Yeah, 77. 78, 81, and 88, won the World Series against the Yankees in 81 when they were down two games to none, and then won the World Series. We all remember the eight World Series with Kirk Gibson uh, when he brought him in in game one and got the home run off Dennis Eckersley. He uh, won, won the World Series in 88, too. So two-time World Series champion, uh, Hall of Famer, uh, 1997 uh, uh, Baseball Hall of Famer, just a, gr a great man, a great ambassador of the game, a phenomenal manager, and he will be missed dearly. Yeah, definitely. You know, um... Dodger, you know, he, he blood Dodger blue forever. Um, and I saw too, I, you know, he's been part of the Dodgers organization for like 71 years. Um, I guess he was in the stands for when they won the World Series this year, which is 
pretty nice for him um, to be able to attend the World Series. Um, yeah, but he's one of the best. Uh, you know, you don't see managers hang around for 21 years anymore. Um, he did an incredible job there. Won the um, Olympic gold medal in 2000. Won the baseball World Baseball Classic in 2000. Coaching Team USA. So, yeah, he's one of the best. Won five um, World Series. The guy just um, loved the Dodgers. Loved everything about it. Um, so yeah, it's a, you know, you know, such a great manager, one of the best and yeah, you know, uh, sad to lose him. Yeah. To me, he was the face of the Dodgers to me. He was yeah. the face of that franchise. I mean, he was the manager for so many years. He was popular. He was such a good guy to me. He was just the, he was the face of the organization. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you talk, yeah. Non-player definitely. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, yeah. Put Tom of sort of, um, yeah, as the face of the Dodgers, you know, um, what he did for that franchise for so many years, just again, you know, there's still, there's still a top of low baseball team now, clearly, but yeah, you know, for 20 years of, um, for what he did for that organization and just, cause it, it's a tough, that's a tough, um, tough, um, play, you know, LA it's tough, but again, um, they get through it and just, yeah, it was, did an unbelievable job. Job with the Dodgers, one for titles in twenty years. Absolutely, absolutely, just a, just a great man, and then he's going to be, and he will be missed. But we got to shift over to the NBA, and in the NBA, we've had uh, we got to start with the COVID issues in the NBA. I mean, three games that are postponed tonight with the uh, the Magic and the Celtics, the Hawks and the Sun, the Hawks and Suns, and the Jazz and the Wizards. So that's three games that have been postponed tonight. A total of seven games overall have been postponed. Six, and I think the last four days have been postponed. Uh, the issues have, have – I mean, you've had teams like the Celtics, obviously, the Heat, the Sixers, the Mavs, and the Wizards, and Bulls all dealing with these issues. Uh, you look at the Celtics, they've had three games in a row postponed because of COVID issues. So thinking of it right now, I think the, the league did a good job yesterday, you know, you know, tightening up the restrictions for players and, and, and not having guests in hotel rooms and everything. But I think I think that the NBA could be in a little bit of trouble right now, and I know it would have been hard to put a bubble together. But maybe they could have could have started the season maybe mid January and 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 played it in a bubble because we're, we're I think we're going to continue to see these problems go on, and we're probably going to see these problems go on in the NHL too as they start tonight. So these not have, both leagues not having a bubble are definitely going. I think it's definitely going to hurt them, and I think I don't think. I don't think I don't think the, the NBA is going to play. Certain teams aren't going to play seventy-two games, and I don't think the NH, certain NHL teams are going to play fifty-six games. Yeah, it's it's um, yeah, they're starting to run a problem in the NBA right now. Um, it, it's now, you know, it's good they tightened up all the protocols and all that, but why did they allow guests in hotel rooms? That makes it? no. That makes no sense at all. That makes no sense, and that's why. Now, yeah, I think, part of me. Says because I know the players didn't like it down in the bubble, so not having the families and all that. But I know they probably didn't want to go back to the bubble and all that. In but, the it, but the bubble worked. The, yeah, the bubble worked. worked. That's the thing. Yeah. Again, I you know if you want to get through it, you, I think you know until the vaccination and everybody gets the vaccine and all that, it, it's going to be tough. It's just you know again certain places the tire and again you know. It, higher percentage of people tested positive and all that. And, and again, you know, it's, yeah, it, you know, we're, you know, and it's not like the NFL too, where it's like you can lose 10 guys, but you still have 50. It's, yeah, if you, you don't know, have eight, if you don't have eight eligible players, yeah. you can't play the game. 
Yeah, so you lose. And you can't call up guys from the G League because I think they're quarantining right now, getting ready for their bubble down in Orlando. So Exactly, yeah. Not that you can call guys up either. So, yeah, you lose five, four or five guys. Yeah, you're in trouble. And then injuries too. Um, you know, yeah, it, it, it's going to be tough. I know the NBA said they're going to play through it, you know, like the NFL. But, yeah, you know, again, it's it's going to – it's going to be random. It's going to be, you know, because I, I credit baseball because they all got to this pretty much the 60 games. That's not going to happen in the NBA or probably not even in the NHL, you know. Um, like the Celtics, yeah, they haven't played in three games. Who knows? And you can't you can't make them play three or four straight days in a row. You can't, even though they're probably going to make, some, make, make most of the games up in the back half of the season because they haven't done the schedule yet for the NBA in the back half. Yeah, you know, I, I think it would be best. I think it would have been best this year just to just to play interconference and not just on East versus East and West versus West. And I know, yeah, I know, I like you lose some good matchups, like a uh, LeBron playing like Giannis, but it would have helped things out, and you could have made up more games if you lose three games against somebody in your division, you know, for um, or even you know going you know for for playoffs, it would have been easier to make up games. I feel like instead of you know, I don't think Boston's lost a game with L.A., but it's like how do you make up a game Boston and L.A. if either team doesn't come back to the East or West Coast? You can't make exactly, them just fly yeah. out if they won't come back. Exactly, so, yep. I think it would have been easier East versus East, but I know they want their ratings and they want their matchups. But, um, you know, I, I think for the playoffs again, they're probably going to need a bubble. I, know, I don't think there's been any talks, but I think they yeah. will. We'll see what happens there. We'll see what happens with, there with the COVID issues because we know they're going to be going on throughout the season. But we got a major issue in Brooklyn. And that's Kyrie Irving. I mean, this is just a this is ridiculous. I mean, the guy you know doesn't tell anybody he's not going to be at the game on Thursday. Then he's taking a picture without a mask on at his sister's thirtieth birthday. This is absolutely ridiculous. I, I'm telling you, KD made a huge mistake. You know, teaming up with Kyrie Irving. I, they, they, unfortunately, there's just a, they, they, this this guy just can't. I mean, we thought. That he couldn't handle being the number one guy. Now he can't even handle being the number two guy on a team. And yes, Durant was out, so he had to be the number one guy. But once he had to be the number one guy, the guy's you know not showing up or anything. So there's really th things wrong with Kyrie Irving. The net, the Nets organization is starting to get fed up. And but honestly, in the next week or two, I wouldn't be shocked. Let's just trade Kyrie Irving and, and, and get rid of him. This is this is just an absolute mess right now. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's ridiculous. He calls he, – he decided 24 hours, I guess, before the game Thursday that he wasn't going to play. Why don't you call the team now and instead of an hour before Thursday's game and then you leave Steve now? Because right now they don't have a backup point guard. Even when he's already out, they, you know, it's – I'd cut him. I'd cut him or trade him. I, I wouldn't be able to – now, and the problem is, too, in this organization is Kevin Durant is the only one that could talk to him. And, and – and give give him like a um ultimatum because anybody else does it he's gonna go cry and go pout for the next month you're never gonna see him again like that's the issue he runs this organization and it's such a big problem and i actually uh jason's comment yeah I said I'm posting up. he's lost the point to dennis rodman but the thing was the bulls knew he was gonna come you know yeah he, he, yeah phil jackson knew he was he was gonna be there yeah. It yeah, didn't matter if he was partying in Vegas. Phil Jackson knew he was going to be at practice, or Dennis Rodman would not be playing the game if he wasn't at practice. Practice. Those were Phil Jackson's rules. Yeah, yeah you know, and Phil Jackson was able to handle him. I, you know, 
Yeah, it's just it's a tough spot. I it, you know for the Nets to be in. He's he's definitely like a Dennis Rod Dennis Rodman right now. Um, I, again, I I can't stand this guy. You know that. See, I, oh yeah. I don't even know. The problem is if you even try trading him, I wouldn't be shocked if he said he's not reporting. Like that's the other issue is I don't think you could trade him because he said yeah. he wants to play for the Nets. You you got to question his heart. You have to. And I and I don't want to do that because I know they're all professionals. But come on, you know he it was. I thought he was all excited to come back playing for Brooklyn, his hometown team, and and look at him. He's played what like three, four games. It's a joke. It is an absolute joke. I mean, he played and, games last year, but still, it's 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 just it's it's awful. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, and then then he comes out because didn't he say too he doesn't want to work that like he just doesn't want to come to work oh, he's making thirty six million dollars a year people Jeez. are really dying to work in right now during the male pandemic you know what the Nets should do they should dock his pay and whatever you know and whatever games he does not play in the Nets should take that and go donate it to like a charity or, or, or you know give it to somebody because it's a waste of money you know. I, again, I, I just I can't stand this guy. He doesn't want to worry. He, I would love to play in the NBA. I don't like the NBA, but if I was good enough to play in the NBA, I would love to be in the NBA. And, but he just takes it for granted. He just takes it for granted. He's not going to be a great player for the next 30 years. There's a window here, and I, 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 I'm just sick and tired of Kyrie. I, I, Stephen A. said it this morning. Uh, you he know, should he retire. Should retire. Yeah. He should. I mean, if he doesn't care, he's probably made enough money. He doesn't give it, you know. I, again, I hate questioning his heart, but I question his heart. I question how much he wants it. It's yeah, ridiculous. It's, it's awful. There were problems in Boston. Celtic fans are, are so happy he's gone now. And he's gone to Brooklyn and just caused the same problems. It's it's just it's an absolute it's an absolute mess. And 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 K and this is what KD left Steph Curry for. He left Steph Curry for, oh, for Kyrie Irving. So I know KD, you know, I know, you know, maybe KD wanted to win a title on his own, but that was a bad, not a good move to leave Steph Curry for uh, Kyrie Irving. No, it hasn't. I don't, it's it, not, you know. Yeah. And, you know, it's got to be a whole different world because Kyrie's, I mean, um, Steph is, from all I hear and all, you know, I've seen Kyrie, Steph is a heck of a teammate. And, yeah, you, you got a Kyrie Irving here just, it's about himself. He's, yeah, he's, he's taking pictures. Kidding. He's going to parties in the middle of in the middle of this pandemic with, with a mask on, with a mask off. Just to me, it makes sense. Uh, yeah, it, it just doesn't. I just I don't understand what his thinking is. So, you know, and then uh, you know, again, I, I know part they say some of it too could be what happened last week, but it's like you know at the Capitol. But then try then come out and say a statement about it or something. Don't do, I'm okay with sitting out last week because of it, as long as he said something about it and, and, and brought um, attention to it. But he hasn't even done that if that's the case. Like, they don't even know why he's gone. They just said brutal. Like, I, I, I just I don't – I just don't get it. I, I, I just I, – I, I'm just sick and tired of this guy. Yeah. Just, just go. Just leave if you don't want to be here. Just just, just, just retire. I don't, I don't get it. It's it, it. It's pathetic. It's embarrassing, and it's and we're going to be talking about it for a while. Because I think the story is going to going to linger on for a while. But it's just it's just absolutely it's absolutely pathetic and embarrassing 
of, of him doing this right now. I mean, he's got a chance to win a championship with the Nets, but clearly he just doesn't want to be there. And if he doesn't want to be on, on this team, I just don't think yeah, – as Stephen A. said, he just he, he should retire. But we got to get to UConn basketball, a team that wants to play. And they're right now t- top 25 in the country for the first time in five years. I mean, got wins over got wins over to uh, Butler and DePaul without uh, without uh, James Boknight. So, and they came back against Marquette with James Boknight. That's a big thing. They're proving they can win without him. You know, you get guys like Kyrie Martin, uh, Tyler Polly, and Isaiah Whaley stepping up. That's big for this team going forward. And I'll tell you, you said it. Top three, te- top three in the in the Big East. They're definitely playing like a top three team in the Big East right now. Yeah, you know, um, you know, I know the competition, you know, Marquette's, the uh, Paul Butler, Marquette's middle of the pack, the Paul Butler kind of towards the bottom. But to go on the road and win three straight games and go 3-0 on a road trip is pretty tough to do. And I don't know the last time they won four conference, you know, four road games on the road in one season. I don't think outside of that 2014 year they ever did it with Kevin Alley. Yeah, I don't, they're probably right. It's probably the last time. Maybe no, I don't even think 2016 the last time they went to tournament. I don't think they won four games. No, I think no. they won like undefeated at home. They lost yeah. one game. So yeah, yeah, it's you know. So again, we're starting to see it all. The pieces all starting to come together right now. Look, Monday was an all good game. You know, Saturday to Monday on the road, it's it's tough. I you know, I you know, I miss those big Monday games. I do, um, but it was ugly on both sides, but. They found a way to win without Bognite, and I think that's a big thing. Is again, you come on, you come home here. Three, you know, again, and it probably plays against Creighton. You're still undefeated here, and you're probably closer to being a top ten team right now. It's the first time in four years since they Wagner beat them um, in the opener, like 2016, I believe. Yeah, what 16? You know, yeah, yeah um, I remember those two games at Northeastern. Um, but yeah, they're playing well. Um, and it's just, yeah, the consistency, you know, without Bognite, they, I think I said it last week, Martin could be at second score one night. It could be Polly. It could be a Whaley, you know, if Gadney can get it going, I think Gadney can give you double digits tonight. Um, so it could, yeah, it, it could be anybody that could step up on this team. This team has a lot of weapons that can beat you day in and day out. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, when you have when you have those those four guys, Whaley, uh, Martin, uh, Boknight, and uh, Polly, I think you know this team could. I mean, I'm telling you, they could be a maybe a four or five seed in the tournament. And they could make a run with that. You never know in college basketball. There's so much parity in college basketball. It's not crazy to think that this team can make a run because last year they they started they started to change things, turn things around. You saw Hurley turning things around last year. Unfortunately, they didn't get a shot to play in the NIT due to the pandemic, but. Team can make a run this year. I'm, 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 I'm confident with this team. I am confident with this team. This is the best I've felt about UConn basketball. I wouldn't even say 2016. I, I would probably say 2014. Yeah, and, you know, that, definitely. 2014, I, I remember leaving senior night, and Kevin Ali went on the mic and said, we're bringing back a national title. And I remember there, like, me and that talking, like, there's no way. You know, like, <laughs> I wasn't even, was even going to win one. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, I, again, I, I feel great about this team. It's it's been years since I felt like this team actually has a shot to make it. Yeah, and yeah, parity. It's pretty much wide open. Besides Gonzaga, Michigan, and Texas right now are are three. Are, you know, are head and shoulders above. Yeah, I saw now. Michigan last night. They are really good. Oh yeah, Juwan Howard, man. He, I didn't think he'd elevate what John Beilein has, but he has. And um, 
But, you know, I, I definitely could see as a four or five seed. Again, they, they could make a run in the second weekend of the tournament. They have the depth, too. That's the thing. You know, and they, they have a guy like James Boatnight that he's got that he's got that UConn guard mentality. He's got that, it's, you know, he will do what it takes. And, more, you know. That Shabazz had, that Kemba had. Yeah, yep. those guys that Ben Gordon had. Yeah, it's yeah, El Amin had, yes. Yeah, yeah. so, you know, we've seen it in, in him. So, yeah, I think this team – does have a shot. It's, you know, um, I think with the more and more they start playing, the more and more rhythm they get. Um, I guess it's a blessing in disguise that Friday's game against Nova got canceled because it's Monday you start another three games in a week. So I think it's a blessing in disguise. It's a full week. You get boat night healthy and all that. So um, I, I think they're in a good spot right now. I know that it's going to start getting tougher soon. You know, you can't keep booting Nova and you still got Creighton coming up, but I like where they are, and I like how they're beating the teams that they should beat, and that's been a struggle for them, I feel like, the last few years is there's been some games where they should have won and they could not find a way to get the wins, and they're starting to be able to do that now. Absolutely. It's nice to see UConn go off to the 7-1. There was some sad news in the UConn community uh, on Sunday as, unfortunately, at 91, D. Rowe passed away. He was the UConn basketball coach from 1969 to 1977. I led them to the Sweet 16 in 1975. Justin, you're pretty big on UConn history, so you can pretty much tell us what – I owe Calhoun meant a ton to UConn, but what did D-Row mean to UConn? D-Row meant a lot. You know, his first year he came in at 69. The year before they were 5-19. and 19. He came in and got it 19-14. and 14. They won that um, – oh, I forget what they called it. It's like the, the hold the ball game or something. They beat Rhode Island 35-32. They held the ball for like seven minutes. Hold the ball, like yeah, yeah. You could yeah. do that before the shot clock days. Yeah, the old days. Uh, I can't imagine how you watch that, but I couldn't. But, um, you know, and then he said the year the next year, like, um, I, I you know, I should have retired after that year. I should, you know, because I risen expectations that high. But, um, you know, in the late – you know, towards the end, I think like 73, 74 – he got them back into the tournament. They started to kind of, you know, get consistency what they had with Hugh Greer back in the '60s, and they felt good and um, ended up retiring or you know retiring '77, um, and then you know going to more of an, an advisory role with the with the um, university. And he was on the panel that hired Jim Calhoun, Gino Oriama. And I'm 99% sure as well as baseball coach uh, Jim Pender. And that changed so, the school. Hiring uh, Calhoun or Yama changed, the, changed that school. It, changed, it made oh. them a national program in both sports. It made them the greatest program ever in, in women's basketball, but it made them a national program in men's basketball. So the fact he was on that committee shows you he means so much to the school. Oh, yeah. You know, um, his personal um, relationship with Dave Gavitt, who started the Big East, got them into the Big East. Um, he was actually on post be on Dave Gavitt's staff when he coached a 1980 Olympic team, um, in uh, Moscow. But you know, as we, you know, but U.S. didn't go that year because of the protests. They were protesting it, so he actually got a spot in 2012. I guess Gino brought him over as an ambassador, I believe. Um, he got him to you know D Row to go over there, but um, and he was a big part as well of um of building Gamble, of getting funding into the program. So he was big into building Gamble Pavilion, um, you know, big in, as I said, getting them into the biggies. So, yeah, without D. Rowe, 
who knows where this UConn program is right now. Like even the baseball program with Coach Penders, that you know, it's tough in big college baseball to be, be to be good at every single season in the Northeast. And Penders has done that. They just built a brand new, um, beautiful baseball facility up there. So, yeah, you know, he's hired three of the best coaches in, in UConn history. You know, um, and a lot of the former players you could see too on social media that just you know. Anybody who stepped on this campus, he loved and he had a great relationship with. And, you know, I remember, you know, every, you know, not so much XL anymore, but Gamble every game, at least, you know, once or twice a game, they, they'd show him on the, on the video screen, you know, and he always got a nice hand. Like, you know, he, he was so important to where UConn is now. And it's, you know, you don't even want to imagine without all the support where they would be right now because it, it'd probably be a whole different thing. And then also, I did hear this too, 2016, he was put on the um, Basketball Hall of Fame as a contributor on the ballot list. So he is still on the ballot. So hopefully, maybe um, he does get elected in one day as a contributor, um, which would be great. But again, how many coaches can you say, or how many people have hired two Hall of Fame coaches like, you know, Calhoun and, and Gino and help build a program like that? So hopefully he does get a shot. Um but yeah, you know, it's tough. I think it was UConn 51 or 52 years. And um, so, yeah, you know, UConn's not where they are without him. And I believe today, too, was supposed to be his birthday. I believe I did hear it as well. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, a guy, he just loved UConn best. He just loved all UConn, you know. I guess Randy, yeah, I guess. He used to call Randy Ezel too every day or every Friday for a football game, wishing him good luck. So um, he, he just loved UConn everything. And you could see that he lived in stores, you know, after taking that, he, you know, he's been in stores ever since. He's never left. Yeah, he will, he will be missed. He will be missed. Unfortunately, D-Row passed the age of 91 on Sunday. But that's going to wrap it up on Sports with R&J. For Jason Garcia, our producer did a great job today. Uh, Justin D'Onofrio and Steve Risser. We'll, I'm Steve Risser. We'll be back next week. Uh, previewing the conference championship games in the NFL. Have a great weekend, everybody. Looking for a casual baseball podcast to listen to? Well, Baseball with the Bard, presented by Clovercrest Media, has just what you're looking for. Tyler Bard and Noah Cross cover a wide range of happenings in the MLB and then dive into a deep focus on the Red Sox and Yankees. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for your weekly dose of Baseball with the Bard.